Welcome to Enabled in Academia. My name is Linky Diedrichs, your host, creator, and hopefully not the only listener of this podcast about how to survive and thrive in academia as a disabled, chronically ill, and or neurodiverse individual. Here with me today, we have Abby Russell from King's College London. Abby, thanks so much for talking with me today. Hi, thank you for having me. It's really good to be here. Abby, could you, could you tell us just briefly or, you know, an overview of um, the work that you do at King's and which projects you're involved with? Yeah, sure. So I am an engagement officer at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience, King's College London. Um, and I work in the press and communications office, but I also work in operations and health and safety. And I also work closely with our faculty diversity and inclusion team. Last year, I was appointed as the disability quality champion for the faculty, which is the first role of its kind at King's. So it's quite an exciting time. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do. But yeah, it's great to be a part of the faculty inclusion work. Part of that role, I chair a a disability inclusion working group um which is a great it's a great team and um yeah I've learned a lot and we've we've done lots of positive action out of that and students are welcome to join that working group as well so if there are any students from the IMPPN listening um please get in touch with me I also co-chair for Community Access Kings which is the staff disability inclusion network at Kings been running more formally for about a year but it started off um more informally as part of a research group and then gradually it's just kind of become this network of staff at King's of an interest in disability inclusion. It's really exciting stuff and congratulations on being the first um, disability quality champion. That is a really exciting role. Could you tell us specifically about some of the things you guys have been working on in the working group and in your role? Yeah, so the Disability Inclusion Working Group is a team of staff members at the at the faculty and from all different kind of areas. So we get that kind of cross-faculty insight, which I think is really important to kind of include the experiences of different areas in the faculty where there's variation. And the group has worked on things like creating guidance for accessible events, guidance for accessible online meetings. And more recently, we published a tips for communicating whilst wearing a face covering to kind of highlight that not everyone can communicate while wearing a face covering. You know, some people lip read um, and actually the face covering is in creating this barrier that we didn't really see before. Um, yeah. So we just sort of did, done some um, raising awareness on that. We've organised events for Disability History Month. I think for the last two years now, we've done a series of events. So it might be film screenings or drop-in events and discussions and just an opportunity for people to come and find out more, really, and raise awareness that way. And then we've also done a lot of work around neurodiversity. So we've been talking to students um, about how we can be more neuro-inclusive and also staff as well. Just published a, a new intranet page, uh, which we hope will be on the website one day. Um, and that's just kind of gathering lots of information about neurodiversity and how and how to better understand neurodiversity, how it's different for everyone, what you can do to sort of 
be more inclusive and there's a section for researchers as well so because we work at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience we've got lots of researchers interested in autism and so we've got a little bit of information for them too. That's fantastic it's really great to hear that you guys are publishing so much as well I'll definitely include the link to your tips on the face mask in this transcript so that if any of our listeners would like to listen to that that would be really interesting. I know I just have a little bit of hearing loss in my right ear from from a very heavy antibiotic use a few years ago. And um, you won't believe it. I, as soon as we started wearing masks, that was something I picked up immediately. And I hadn't even realized that I was been lip, lip reading that much. And so it, especially in situations where there are quite a few people wearing masks, it's been quite disorientating. So I'd be very interested in reading that myself. That's really interesting you say that, actually, because I think for, it's for a lot of people, they realize how much they rely on lip reading when the ability to lip read is suddenly removed. And I, I guess it's just an example of how our environment is disabling in a way. And it's also, you know, nice to hear that the working group is thinking about, you know, disability as a dynamic shifting target rather than, you know, these sets of accessible options that we have, you know, to, to make things accessible and they never change. But of course, as the world changes and circumstances change like COVID, that really highlights also changing accessibility needs. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if there are working groups like this in any other faculty, Abby. Um, do you perhaps know? I'm not sure, actually. I think I think there are a few sort of starting up, but I'm not sure. Because I'm thinking this might be um, something really useful for everyone in my department at the Global Health and Social Medicine Department. I'm definitely going to find out if our faculty has something like this, because I think we work in global health and social medicine, which intersects a lot with disability studies. And that's something we can really try and emulate in other departments. So well done for the IOPPN for taking the initiative on this. I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about the work that your group does about raising disabilities among staff um, among staff themselves. And if this you know, relates to your Access Kings work as well, if you could tell listeners a little bit more about Access Kings as a staff network. Um, yeah, about the value of having your co-workers and I guess if you're a student your co-student who are also disabled knowing about your disabilities and how community can really make a difference. Yeah definitely so one of the aims of the disability inclusion working group at the IOPPM within the faculty we aim to very much work closely with Access Kings and feed into that the network itself as well obviously by sharing anything that we do with the network and that's kind of our tap into the rest of Kings so I think one of the key elements of the community networks at King's is that it gives you that connection to the whole university rather than you work in your faculty and you know who's in your faculty and that's it. Um, And the benefits of doing that is sharing best practice, you know, sharing information with everyone in the network. Um, and then they can take that to their faculties. And so we do aim to be very much working alongside the Access Kings network and kind of using that network to consult with and to sort of share information with as well. And so Access Kings is for all staff at Kings College London, including PhD students. It might be, you know, you might have people with disabilities, you might have people who are neurodiverse, might be people with long term health conditions, or it might be people who don't identify as disabled themselves, but they have um, an interest in making things more accessible and inclusive. Obviously, the benefit of that is that it's kind of combined knowledge and experience, and that can very much influence the activity of the working group and of the committee itself. Probably worth just mentioning, actually, a bit about the committee. So we have the network, which is anyone can be a member and you can join and you can have access to all the information and attend the events. 
um, but there's nothing really expected of you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to commit an hour a week um, to do something for disability inclusion. But you're not, there's nothing expected of you. Um, but uh, we also have a network committee. Uh, I think we've got about 15 members of the committee at the moment. And it's more for people who want to do something to to contribute to disability inclusion. So we might have a number of activities that we're working on. And the committee is really for people who want to get involved, basically, and do the work because there's so much work that needs to be done. So um, the committee is also open to all staff and PhD students. And when I say all staff, I mean academic staff, teaching staff, professional services. Yeah, everyone's welcome, basically. So that's really great. Um, I'll definitely include a link for our listeners, especially our King's listeners today. If you're a PhD student or a staff member and you weren't aware of the Access King's network, well... Now you now you are aware, and this might be a wonderful opportunity to join a community of like-minded people. If you just join the network, don't worry, there's nothing expected of you. Um, it's just your participation at, at voluntary events. And if you want to get more involved in changing things on the ground, then the committee might be an option for you. Yeah, it is difficult um, if you are a disabled person and you've had trouble getting the adjustments that you need. It can be really tiring to keep on asking for it or chasing it up or even just even mentioning it. You know, some people may not have told their manager that they have or they need an adjustment at work to do their job or they need um, some support for while, while they study. And I guess the benefit of being part of a network is that you're not the only one asking for an adjustment. You're very much in a group within a group of people and there's that whole network behind you so I guess the network kind of aims act as this big voice to sort of say this is what we need and sort of hold hold kings accountable but sort of put the cogs in motion to get stuff done. I think that's really great and um, I want our listeners to know that the disability services have also created a student disability network as well so you know you know you're welcome to join us as well and we have a similar type of aim and that's for any student, so that there's a network as well for students who are undergraduates and a master's, master's students as well. I was wondering, Abby, if we could talk a little bit more about the validation of being part of a group, like being part of uh, Access Kings or even being part of a working group and what that can mean for someone with a disability, chronic health illness, who's neurodiverse or even has mental health issues. I guess it's a chance, so to be part of the network, it's a chance to connect with other people at King's. So you're kind of bound by that being part of King's, but also it's you, you're going to meet people who have had similar experiences, or it might be that you're facing a particular barrier um, in your work or, or your study, but then you can you can talk to someone who has, alre- who has faced that particular barrier themselves, um, and then they can share their experience. And I think that's beneficial because it, you know you're not you're not alone it might be a barrier that kings needs to kind of get rid of for everyone yeah and kings might not be aware of it you know if there's and i think that gets back to your point about um, critical mass that a network has the advantage of that rather than one person putting in you know a request for an accommodation or even a complaint about how things have been going accessibility wise and knowing i think as well that you won't be singled out i think that's quite important I know that can be a real fear. I mean, I think that's probably a fear as well 
when you're even just applying to King's, for instance, as a PhD student or an undergraduate, to disclose a disability is this idea that you might be stigmatized, that you might be discriminated against, even if there are policies and all sorts of rules and regulations in place to prevent that. And I think a network is quite a good way of giving you as the disabled person that assurance that um, one, the change is more likely to happen, and two, that there won't be unexpected repercussions. Yeah, I think the disclosure is an interesting point, actually. And obviously, joining the network, it kind of gives you an insight into the benefits of disclosing. Yeah. I don't really like that word, but I <laughs> I suppose the benefits of telling someone, basically, yeah. that you that you are disabled or that you um you need an adjustment or some some support. But yeah, definitely, you're only going to tell someone if you know that there is a benefit to doing that. So being part of the network, you see the benefit, come into contact with more information and support and um, other people with experience as well. And I think that's definitely a benefit of telling someone. Because I guess on this issue of disclosure, or as I like to say, it's um, telling your disability story, you know, it can be such an empowering thing, but also such an incredibly scary thing, because you are giving an unknown person very intimate information about you that can potentially change the whole relationship and dynamic and it can lead to a lot of different kinds of microaggressions in everyday interactions with colleagues or with peers. I don't know if you found that's the experience as well and that you know network members then have a chance to actually talk through that and work through that as a network rather than sitting with that as an individual and feeling well, almost gaslit, you know, for, for having exposed exposed yourself as a disabled person. Yeah, definitely. Gaslighting as the buzzword. Um, <laughs> gaslighting is very much invalidation, right? So yeah. I guess if you're feeling invalidated and you are not connecting with people who also speak your truth, then you'll continue to feel invalidated. But if you know that there are other people with a similar experience, you can talk to them And you can discuss any microaggression and you can say, you know, this is how it makes me feel. And you realise that actually that isn't invalid and your feelings are very much valid. And I think that's very beneficial for your well-being if you are surrounded by people who kind of support you and have similar experiences and also validate your feelings. So I think that might be our main message for today is, and I don't know for our listeners who are at other institutions or, you know, outside of King's, it would be really good if you guys could tweet at me and let me know what you, what kind of networks you have available at your university, um, both staff members, PhD students and students. And maybe we can start a discussion about best practices, how to set something up like that, because I think it can be incredibly beneficial. Yes, where things have gone right and wrong for you, because I think often it's a case that we just don't know about these things, isn't it, Abby? I mean, I've you know been part of the disability services for quite a while as a student. That's only very recently I heard that there was this network available and that I could go. Yeah, I think um, I think being part of a network, another kind of aspect to it is how much you pick up. You know, you said earlier that you know some things we just don't we just don't know we just don't realise because it's not it's not our experience, and it's only until someone points it out that it makes you think about it and makes you realise the impact of it as well. This is an example. I was at work one day and someone pointed out um, the 
high contrast edging on the step. And obviously at King's, we've got lots of listed buildings with, you know, those really old school concrete steps that are just grey and they're kind of worn away. They're not very even. And I just looked at them and I thought, no, you know, if you've got a visual impairment, you're not going to see these steps. You're not going to use the steps because you can't see the edges. And when I when I realised this, I saw it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everywhere I was going, you know, like to the cinema, restaurant. I was just looking at the steps and I thought, no one's going to use these steps. It's, it's, it's just such an easy win, I think, when you realise, you know, high contrast edging probably doesn't cost that much in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, so I think that might be another advantage of a network is that it pools resources, it pools knowledge of people together. And, um, and then it can show that it doesn't have to be an expensive adjustment, but that it ought to be adjusted. One of our first events um, as Access King's Network was a discussion collaborative event called Purple Sky Thinking. It was kind of a play on the blue sky thinking where you sort of think like, you know, if money was no object, what would you do? So we kind of asked the question, you know, if money was no object, what would you change at King's? To make it more accessible uh, it was really it was a really interesting exercise got lots of good ideas and we also did a question that was more around quick fixes you know what yeah. what are the really easy things that we could do and um, to make kings more accessible and I, I think one of one of the ideas was to have motorized doors but not just the entrance door but like throughout the building mm-hmm. normally you see like the, the the entrance the first door in is motorized it's like oh that's great but then you hit your second door and it's like well you know now what <laughs> do you have examples of some of the other um purple sky suggestions that came up that's really interesting yeah so um one of the kind of more quick wins that we had was to review workplace adjustments at a three-month, six-month and 12-month interval. So this is something that we don't currently have in place, I don't think, unless something has changed recently. So this is something that can be done relatively easy, right? It just means, you know, having the process and then just adding the three-month, six-month, 12-month onto the form. That was one of the quick wins. Another quick win was to include information about workplace adjustments, disability toolkit and flexible working within the welcome pack that all staff receive as they join King's. Again, I don't know if this has happened more recently, but it wasn't something that was happening previously. Um, We had uh, one that was like, make all lifts fire lifts, fire evacuation lifts, which is obviously a a big project, really expensive. Yeah. um, But also a big barrier. Um, You know, if you've got a wheelchair user who cannot go down, cannot use the steps in an emergency, then the upper floors or the basements um, are not accessible to them. To my listeners, you can think of some other purple sky, quick fixes, and a genie wish. If the genie could give you unlimited wishes of things you could change in your institution right now, please let us know. That would be very, very interesting to hear. Abby, thank you so much for being here today and for taking the time to speak with me. I think we at Kings are very lucky to have you. Hope that a lot of people will get in touch with you um, from this podcast about the network about the working group and um, potentially about the committee as well. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great to speak to Abby Russell today, the Disability Quality Champion for the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience at King's College London. From our chat today, I'm taking away the importance of having a safe space for disabled researchers within an institution, a space that not only provides an opportunity to share resources and information, 
but also one that has the institutional power to collectively address accessibility and adjustment needs at a higher level. A network can act as a collective voice, which can relieve some of the pressure off individuals to change their environment. A reminder that Abby chairs her faculty's disability inclusion working group, who focus on improving access and making disabled voices heard. Students from the IOPPN are welcome to join, and I've added the intranet link to the working group in the transcript for this episode. To our listeners at other institutions, please let me know if your faculty has such a working group, and if you think it would be worthwhile to set one up. This is also a shout out to my own faculty at King's, Social Science and Public Policy, to hear why we haven't kept up with the IOPPN. Abby also co-chairs the disability network King's Access, which is open to all staff and PhD students. Please do consider signing up to this network as it provides a much-needed community for disabled academics. To my listeners at other institutions, do let me know if you have a similar network so that we can join forces. Then check out the network's articles on communicating while wearing a face mask and their top tips for accessible online meetings. Do also see their neurodiversity toolkit available on the King's intranet. All links are in the transcript. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Enabled in Academia. Please do like, share and support this podcast on Twitter by following us at Enabled in Acca. If you have any questions, suggestions or impressions, please tweet at us or send me an email at enabledinacademia at gmail.com. The music for this podcast, A Room for Two, is composed by Dan Leibovitz and is available on the YouTube Audio Music Library. As always, access isn't optional for us to be enabled in academia. Yep, I'm making that a thing.